You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Steamheart. Chapter 4. The Subtle Engineer. From the Journal of James Penrose, District of Columbia, April 1st, 1883. I employed the knocker at number 14, Northwest Beecher Street, as Abigail and I stood alone in the bracing sunrise. A man of advancing years in a dressing gown, a nightcap and spectacles came to the door and opened up. It is 6.30 in the morning. What could you possibly want? Am I addressing Dr. Julius Kaufman, Surgeon General? No, you are addressing the version of him that has not had coffee or breakfast yet. And you will find him most decidedly unpleasant company. We understand. We are passing through Washington today on top-secret government business... And we happen to learn the location of your abode from a former patient of yours, a Captain Broussard, whose peptic ulcer you administered to, apparently to great effect. My name is Dr. James Penrose. My colleague here is Sergeant Abigail Gray, a decorated woman of bravery and fervour. We read and were most stimulated by your passage in the cartographer's handbook, and my colleague has undertaken to... He's smart and I hit people. Can I get your autograph from our cartographer's handbook? Please? I'm sorry about her. Ten minutes later we were sat at his kitchen table while Kaufman scrambled eggs and apron over his pyjamas. What is this stuff? Abigail asked, eyeing the dishes he placed before us. Pickled herring. Try it in the same mouthful as the black bread, eh? We did so. It was very strong and sharp at such an early hour, and Abigail made disgusted faces at me as though reverting to infancy. But the creamy, buttery eggs with black pepper, which he added to the side, balanced this flavour out, and it was, in the end, one of the finer breakfasts I have partaken of. After ten days of solid horseback travel, it was a merciful moment of rest. We bid farewell to Dr. Kaufman and proceeded onward to Langley in Fairfax County. I remained tight-lipped with him about the finer details of our assignment, which I would personally classify as top-secret and eyes-only to the continued annoyance of my companion, who seeks input from strangers on our predicament. We began this journey ten days ago, back in Orangeburg, South Carolina. Ten days of travel in close company with an old friend. Propitious circumstances, one might say, to consider this something of a road trip. Sadly, the awkward estrangement we have experienced over the long years living both together and apart at Weirwood has not changed in the six months since we became cartographers. Following our ordeal at the House of Versteckt, we have led separate lives and careers once more, with Abigail climbing the ranks from private to sergeant due to her natural leadership abilities and zeal to be more in control of her path. I myself focused on retraining at medicine with my single remaining eye, and spent my free hours puzzling over the nature of what now inhabits our bodies. Despite 
or perhaps because of this, our 500-mile horseback trek north has been spent mostly in silence. Nevertheless, I have enjoyed her company and the closeness. Despite our differences, Grey has always been exhilarating company. As we reached the guardhouse, we saw guns at the ready, but not trained upon us just yet. What's the purpose of your visit today? We have some top-secret eyes-only information to divulge to the director. You have an appointment? No, but we have heard that Major Frank Butler and Captain Annie Oakley are working within National Intelligence Headquarters today. They can vouch for us. Hold on a moment. The guard captain picked up a black lacquered device with an unusual curve and spoke into it. Hey, Chester, can you pinpoint Butler or Oakley? They're both in the war room right now with the Arlingtons. Pass me through. You got it. Are you speaking to someone through that? Ma'am, shh. Yeah, Major Butler there? He's right here. Butler, I got two out front here. Look like they lost a fight with an eye-poking machine. Do you have one of those here, too? Shh. Annie and I will be right down. These two have an appointment. Let them through, Harris. Yes, sir. He says he'll be right out. Apparently you two do have an appointment. We do? Damn, Skippy, we do. Can we just head on up the road there? Stick to the path, and yes, the Major and Captain Oakley will meet you at the front doors of the main complex. Do you require an escort? Can we have one of those talkie thingies? No, I'm afraid you can't. Oh. Then no. As we reached the front doors, a pair of familiar figures were stood there. The Major was dressed a little more smartly than when we'd last seen him as a sergeant in Elkview. But Captain Oakley was the one who had undergone a more pronounced change. Her long blue duster was gone, replaced by a short jacket and a long skirt, which made the difference in her stance more apparent. She was twenty-two years old, a year younger than Abigail and I, but appeared to have gained a decade of experience in our six months apart. I shook Butler's outstretched hand warmly, only to have him grin and embrace me, something I am thoroughly unaccustomed to. Ah, heck, bring it on in, Penrose. Last time I saw you, you saw me twice as much. I grimaced at this, but found his candor as appealing as usual nonetheless. Abigail and Annie stood before one another awkwardly, until the captain, a full foot shorter than Miss Gray, likewise pulled her into an embrace. Abigail broke away first, and playfully clapped her on the shoulder. You guys have got yourselves some pretty good jobs, huh? Babysitting the director? Anything interesting happen? You heard about the riots here in Washington? We did. Were you here for that? I wasn't. But I was in the eye of the hurricane. Saw some crazy things I can tell you both about. But it's not been a month yet. We're still repairing, so that's kind of a situation that's still happening for us. Ann Arlington... What's he like? We'll take you to meet him. Them. Let's go. Our horses were led away to the stables, so I retrieved my bag and we began to move into the building. I found myself trembling as I stepped through the halls, taking in the sounds and smells of the center of intelligence for the entire nation. This is where I wanted to work. Annie walked ahead of us and I trotted faster to keep up. Are you... All right, Captain Oakley. I'm fine. Had a pretty rough couple of months myself. Did you hear about Vice President Hayes? I heard he was eaten by a minotaur up in Ohio. It was a manticore. And I was there. Spent a couple more days hunting that thing. Didn't like what I found. At least you're alive. Yeah. 
Carl didn't make it. Oh. Miss Gray, I would appreciate it if you would let me handle this. Have a little faith, you two. I do have faith, but it's the kind that has a limit. There's a window between cautious and stupid, and that's where my faith is. And it sure as hell doesn't cover trust and mercy to a couple of shit heel raiders. Now, I don't know how cartographers are supposed to act in this scenario, but I know if this was me alone, I would shoot those two down the moment I see their heads. Well, it's not you alone, Miss Grace. You just button your lip. This is bullshit! How do we know the moment we step out, you won't just shoot us both to save your hides? It does seem rather too good to be true. Well, let's see. Does either of you have a deck of cards on you? I do, ma'am. It's missing the king of clubs, so we just use a picture of him. You got an ace of hearts in there? Uh, yep. What the flat fuck does this have to do with anything? Toss it up in the air, Virgil. What are we? 300 yards from you? It seems like it. Uh, just toss it up. Don't do it. Why not? You'll give away our position. They know where we are. Tossing it now, ma'am. Did I get it? Holy shit! Okay, that was pretty impressive. Well, all right now. Just toss down your guns. Every single one of them. Knives, too. Knuckle dusters, tomahawks. Anything that you could be foolish enough to try to do us a mischief with. You got that, Virgil? And friend? It's Carl! I can't believe you're trusting them. How often do you do this? Honestly, once a fortnight. Maybe twice. Half the time it doesn't work. Then why do you bother at all? Just kill them! Because half the time it does. I'm not ready to sacrifice my partners or myself just because I don't trust folk. Someday this is going to get you killed. Maybe Maybe so. so. But we ain't rebuilding nothing with more corpses. What happened to him? Manticore pierced his lungs with a paralyzing spine from its tail. Horrible way to go. Hmm. Virgil's still alive. He finished with being a cook's assistant and went farrier full-time, which is good for the horses and even better for those who don't want dysentery. Well, ain't that special now. Did he come of his own accord, or did you ask him to come on this hunt? Carl? I selected him myself from who was available. Well, fine. I guess I would have done the same. Now I could tell from Abigail's voice that she was far from fine. In fact, fine, I have often found, is a word employed when a person feels precisely the opposite. I ordered him to fall back when things got too heavy. I said it's fine. And I I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. Neither would I. You need to drop me. You need to drop me if you want to use the mace. I don't want to use the mace. Come on. I think we're almost at the door. I can see daylight. Come on. We just gotta move. A few more feet and we're out of this. Almost there. Thank you, sir. That thing would have had us both. Get your asses behind the firing lines. We got more of them on the way. Is that... Is that Carl? Yeah, but you can just carry on calling me fuck you if y'all prefer. Hey, Cap, we got him. Nice going, Carl. What the hell happened to you two? We'll live. But, Captain, there's so much in that house that we need to retrieve. Can the fire be put out? 
James, all we've got is a water pump, a bucket, and a shit ton of wendigos coming out of the woods. That house is ashes, so you two saddle up. We're pulling out of here. Yes, ma'am. Poor, foul-mouthed bastard. We had stopped beside a pressure door of the kind I had only read about. You two want to see the steam craft? Yes. Yes, we both said in unison, grateful for the distraction from the somber, reflective little conversation, as well as genuinely curious. Butler smiled and rotated the lever, beckoning us through the doorway, and into a wide industrial hangar buzzing with electricity. All at once my knees weakened as I leaned on the railing of the gantry and beheld the sights before me. There were two gargantuan machines, one the size of an elaborate carriage, the other a steel behemoth, practically a building, flanked by enormous rubberized wheels, towering many times taller than a man. As we made our way, some of us on wobbly legs, down the steps to pass beside these craft, they loomed even larger, reminding me of the locomotives I once travelled on, as well as Oceanic, the ship that had borne me here from England as a boy. I spotted a highly strung blonde gentleman engaged in animated argument with a tall, thin, stoic man with a clipped moustache. Neither of them glanced at us. And what will give it this lift? said the taller man in a Serbian accent. Why, hydrogen, of course. It's as though you haven't been listening to a word I'm saying, said Blondie. No, I've listened. What eludes me is where you're going to get that much hydrogen in a short space of time. Well, that's the thing. It can be naturally sourced, but it will take us a month or so just to get the various parts together for the prototype. That's why we need a full staff working on this. We should be turning this place into a factory. If it's good enough for Colt and Winchester... It's good enough for us. I am not keen on getting too many involved in this. Well, that's fine and dandy, too. I can run things and you just use that noodle of yours to think up new tech. So no change for me. Or for you, then. Best of all, once it's sold to the military and they get their edge on the war, this has infinite possibilities in peacetime for civilians. Why, we'll have businesses lining up to buy these. We'll be creating a whole new industry. And you and I... We'll hold all the patents. Rushing ahead as always. Money no longer exists, Thomas. You're going to have to get rich on military credit. Well, we'll just see about that when the next president gets in. You want the job? I reckon I'd make a splendid commander-in-chief. Yeah. We could do worse. Pushy courts. We proceeded onwards, past them. Butler clearly not wishing to disturb the two inventors... Instead, he moved us to the far wall, inset with a series of huge shutters. One of them was open, and I had heard a roaring, clanking sound coming from it. But it was only now, as we got close, and I peered out into the sunlight, that I could see a craft, similar to the two we had witnessed already, but now in motion. I could not take my eyes off this miraculous machine... From its hexagonally plated hull to the falcon prow, this vehicle exceeded even the mighty Nautilus in the expanse of my mind. It thundered across the grass, its great wheels churning, steam escaping from a short cylindrical chimney behind the cockpit, and around the front and rear were cables which glowed and crackled with rich amber light. Its presence, the hum, just as it stood idle, once whoever was driving it brought it around to a skidding halt, quite filled up my world. 
the hatch in the side opened, and a young lady emerged. She was slender and slightly gangly, dressed in overalls, and wore a slung leather tool belt. Harry! Butler called. You got some folks you're going to want to meet. Harry Arlington. Fox 2, H.A. Dash 2, District of Columbia, April 1st, 1883. Today, I work on Steamheart in the early hours, tightening up her transmission band. Tesla brings me a plate of bread and beans for breakfast, and then I take her outside for a spin. And I mean literally. The thing I'm working on is tight turns, and when her whole ass goes sweeping out to the side, if the angle's wrong, the wheels go up on one flank, and it can get pretty scary. So I need to get a better feel for that, or there's a risk I could flip her over. This means driving round and round the courtyard until I can get a good run off. I've gotten pretty good at doing this and, and turning without stalling the engine. After six passes, I see I have visitors. Mr. Butler and Annie are at the shutters, standing next to two people who look like pirates. I skid to a halt, scramble to the hatch, and pull myself out. How you doing today, Sparks? That's that's just a little thing we say to each other. No malfunctions, Captain. But I do like being called Sparks. Mr. Butler steps forward and indicates the intense-looking fellow in blue on his right. This is Dr. James Penrose, and is it Sergeant now? Yep. Sergeant Abigail Gray. The lady he is pointed to is tall and looks tough, a little bit mean, but she had a nice eye and long red hair. I'm sure I'll be charmed, I say, hoping that these are the correct words to use for this kind of greeting. I'm Harriet Arlington, for your services. I attempt to curtsy as I say this, although it feels awkward in my big boots. Close enough. Harry built this here land vehicle. Arlington, any relation? I've got a sister and, uh, and two parents. Is one of them Thomas Arlington? That's right. You know him? No. But I really should like to. He looks excited and is staring behind me now at Steamheart. Madam, first I must extend my admiration for your family and their achievements. And second, I... Words fail me when I look at this... This masterpiece containing masterpieces. Words don't fail him much, so well done, Harry. I'm Abigail. I shake her extended hand and look sideways at my creation. Yeah, she is a beauty. I've been working on improving her for weeks now since Major Butler and I took her for that test run with my dad. Can I have another driving lesson sometime soon? This afternoon? Uh, no, Harry. I think there's going to be a lot of talking about James and Abigail here. In fact, you're invited too, so can you be ready to come with us? I will be. You want to look inside first? Oh, my giddy aunt, yes. The doctor's eye widens as he says this, reminding me of when I first showed Mr. Butler 49 days ago. I tell them all of Steamheart's details. The three main sections, cockpit, command, communal, the propulsion system, and how to fuel her. I, I don't know what it is that takes me away from them. But I recall becoming very interested in the idea of alternate fuel sources. I stand conversing with myself, as I do, and running through the various scenarios. 
Not with my lips. Inside my head. Harry, focus. And then Mr. Butler is gently calling to me, bringing me back. And um, two minutes have gone. I apologize, as I must, and try not to let the fleeting bright colors that have taken me before whisk me away again. I have to pretend to myself that I'm not interested for now. Room for one more? Mr. Edison pokes his head through the hatch. Yes, there is. You know this. Unlike inside your pokey little chariot. Mr. Tesla follows him up the steps. Dr. James Penrose, Sergeant Abigail Gray, meet Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla. Two more of the fabulous brains we keep in this place. Ah, doctor. Sir, is our humble workshop to your liking? It will frighten you, our humility. Says Tesla, but quietly, like he's joking, maybe? Dr. Penrose sighs and looks around him in a way that... In a way that makes me feel warm. He is loving her. I'm not sure I can adequately articulate what it feels like to step out of the 19th century and into this vision of tomorrow. It is almost too much to take in at once. I know Edison is about to take over the conversation. Like he does. But I figure I'll be naughty. I've reached down and cranked the ignition lever. Why, thank you. My baby roars into life around us, humming with energy as I illuminate their faces. The doctor's is gratifyingly caught up in wonder. She is steam hard, and she's alive, I say, in a way I find most impressive. Abigail has stepped up and into the cockpit. I watch her nervously as she runs her gloved fingers over the many dials and buttons. This is something else. What are you planning to do with these things? Develop them. Sell them. Take care of them. Why would you give something this beautiful to someone who wouldn't understand her? The doctor studies me, but I look away. It isn't that I don't like him. It's just hard to know what to do with myself when being scrutinized. You, uh, you all want to go for a ride? I ask, crossing over to sit in the bucket seat beside Abigail. She bunches up her arms and and looks a little scared. What's wrong? I'm fine. But I do need to get some air. It's real tight in here. I see Annie check her pocket watch. No time for test drive, Sparks. We'll do that later. But we gotta take James and Abigail to the war room, now. Your mom and dad are just dying to meet him.
You have been listening to episode four of Steamheart, The Subtle Engineer. Written and directed by Alexander Shaw. James Penrose, Guard Captain Harris, Thomas Arlington, Carl and Nikola Tesla, performed by Alexander Shaw. Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. Julius Kaufman and Thomas Edison, performed by Matt Wardle. Chester, performed by Dan Mayer. Frank Butler, performed by Spencer Lieb. Annie Oakley and Harriet Arlington, performed by Loretta Saylor. And Virgil, performed by Lauren Grieve. Make your decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. One Wild West, composed and performed by Edward Blakely of Shockwave Sound. Frozen Star, Pam Gaia and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dechler, and Lorraine Chisholm.